Genesis chapter 40. I want to read a few verses, and then I want to jump into the word. I feel like it just so lines up with what Julia was preaching about, and I feel like that's just how God does things. He, he brings words together. Scripture says in Genesis chapter 40, verse 1, Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream. The same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph, look at this, verse 6, when Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? Well, we both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. I want to take a few moments today, and I, I just felt led kind of coming to this conference to, to, to land on this, this topic and this subject. And I'm not sure if this message really is for everybody in this room, but I do have a sense in my spirit that this message is for quite a few people in this room. I want to preach a message, and the title might kind of throw you off a little bit, but we'll, we'll kind of unpack it together. I want to preach from this subject today, incubation through isolation. Incubation through isolation. I think it's a really important message, especially with the audience that we're speaking to today, thinking about millennials and thinking about the fact that most of us in this room, we deal with a patience problem. We deal with a process problem. And I want to encourage the dream that's on the inside of you. And I'm going to believe today that as we finish this session that some of you, that dream's going to be awakened. And others of you, you're going to say, I'm not giving up on that dream that God has given me. And so would you pray with me? Let's believe that the Holy Spirit's going to use these words today to minister to your heart. Lord, we thank you so much that you're here. We thank you that you're moving. God, we thank you for um, all that you've already done, Lord, from last night's session to this morning's session. But, Lord, we believe that you're the God who continues, Lord, to do more. So we open up ourselves again to you, and we ask that you move in this place. We love you. We praise you. And all of God's people said? Yes. Come on, all of God's people said? Yes. Come on, if you love Jesus, somebody make some noise in this house. So it would, it would not be right because I, so many of you we know and we love and have journeyed with us. But my wife and I have been married for 12 years. But if you don't know, we went on an eight-year journey of infertility and uh, believing and hoping that we'd have a child. And after talking to many doctors, many times we thought that that dream would never come to pass. But six months ago, in the month of January, um, God, who is the God of the impossible, did a miracle and my wife gave birth to our firstborn son. Do y'all want to meet my son? Can, can I introduce you to my son? All right, here comes my boy. This is my boy. Look at this guy. Oh, snap. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, I'm just going to hold him for a second. This is Allison, by the way. She works with us. She's totally single. Ryan, wherever you are. You have to move to Miami, but other than that... This is my son, Wyatt Wesley Wilkerson. That's some good initials right there. WWW. We call him World Wide Web for short. Nope, nope, nope. Okay, here we go. What do you want to say? He loves to eat microphones. It's his thing. This is Wyatt, and um, he's just our miracle boy. We love this guy so much. 
The other day we were in London. He had these headphones on, and this guy walks up to him during the worship service. He goes, what is he listening to? I was like, he's listening to that new Drake album, yo. No, I'm kidding. He's listening to Zoe worship. He don't like your worship, no. These are for the noise, those of you that don't have kids. Um, but this is, this is Wyatt. And I wanted to bring him up here because I think it's important for our generation to understand that we serve a God who is in the business of doing the impossible. We serve a wonder-working God who's still a healer. He's still a deliverer. He's still a God who shows up late in the midnight hour. One of the beautiful things that Don and I discovered is that we discovered that a waiting season never has to be a wasted season. That, that even while you're waiting for God to do something, and you're wanting God to do something through your life, he typically does something in your life first. And I want to bring Wyatt up here because he just, he just turned six months like two weeks ago, and we're like celebrating every moment of it, and I love this kid so much. But I was thinking about it because Don Shree and I, we went on this eight-year journey of hoping to have a child and believing for a child and praying for a child. And I'll never forget that day when we found out that we were pregnant. What's crazy is that we had been waiting for eight years, and the day we discovered that we heard that we were pregnant, well, then there was another wait. It's called the nine-month journey before he comes out of my mom. My, my mom? Hello. No. <laughs> this is getting weird. Okay. Leviticus, quickly open there. No. Um. Is that funny? No, okay, anyways. Um, th th there's another journey. Where you, you have to wait nine months. And I was thinking about it the other day, like, I'll never forget it because every week that passed, my wife and I, we had this app that would show, like, what size fruit he was or it would describe everything to you. And there was this, there was, like, this mile marker that you wanted to get to 38 weeks or 39 weeks or 40 weeks because how many of you know that if he comes any earlier than his due date, he risks being born premature. I think many times that's how God works in our life. Is that many times he, he gives us a dream and this God dream comes on our life and so many of us, we're, we're desperate for the dream to occur. We're, we're desperate for that vision to take shape, the thing that we see, that, that, that church that, that he spoke to you. Why has it not happened yet? And I want to speak to you today from the premise that if that thing happens too soon, it will be born premature. And if your dream is born premature, what they do is, is when a baby's born premature, I discovered this in the hospital. I didn't know anything about being a parent, but I was, I was walking through the hospital. And I saw these little babies that were born early, and they, they put them in these things called an incubator. And an incubator is a device that controls the environment so that that baby can continue to grow and be healthy. What's wild is that the womb is a natural incubator. Yet as you look at the womb, and I think about my son, my son had to go through nine months of what appeared like he was all alone before he could arrive. And that's how oftentimes our lives have to look. They have to be alone before God can announce us to the world. Can y'all put your hands together for Wyatt Wesley Wilkerson? Come on. Hey, you're a good boy. I was trying to do an open mouth kiss with him. We do that. Hey, I am so proud of you. You are my son whom I'm well pleased with. Holy Spirit, come. No, okay. <laughs> I, I think often what, what takes place is, is that we don't understand that there's these moments that we feel like we're in isolation. 
Yet I would challenge you today that maybe the thing that you're calling isolation is actually God's incubation. The word incubation means to develop slowly without outward or perceptible signs. You ever felt that way before? Have you ever felt like you're in a moment that, man, like I don't see the growth, I don't see the development, I don't see it taking shape. Maybe, just maybe, God is putting you into the incubator just a little bit. I think about, like, I started working out about a year and a half ago, and, like, I love going to the gym now, but it took me a long time before I loved going to the gym. And how many of you know that muscles are not the start of strength? Muscles are a sign of strength, <laughs> that they have to take shape. You think about a farmer. I loved how Julie was talking about it. A farmer puts a seed in the ground. No farmer puts a seed in the ground and says, all right, let's have a eulogy. Let's have a funeral service. This seed is dead. No, 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 no. The seed is not being buried, as John said last night. The seed is being planted. As I plant the seed, time is going to take place. The seed has to go all alone into the ground, yet I'm telling you, before fruition, isolation must occur. And rest assured, let me just encourage you, rest assured, when you grow, it feels slow. If you want to grow, you got to be okay with going slow. I love this idea of incubation through isolation. I think the principle is really laid out as you said, the life of Joseph. Those of you that are maybe new to church and you don't know the story of Joseph, Joseph's a really interesting story. Joseph is one of the 12 sons of this guy named Jacob. Jacob later has his name changed to Israel. Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, the promise of Abraham. But Jacob's 11th son, his name was Joseph. And as you study the scriptures, Joseph has this favor on his life. And as Joseph is 17 years of age, that's a, always, always a pivotal age for me because at 17, God called me into full-time ministry. My life was radically changed. Joseph, 17 years of age, gets this God dream. Yet the minute he gets this God dream, what we have to always remember is that a dream that hasn't been tested is a dream that can't be trusted. And so if you're going to get a God dream, you have to be willing to walk through the tests of that dream. The first test that Joseph goes through is that he announces his dream prematurely. He goes to his brothers like, hey guys, last night I had a dream. I saw all of you guys bowing down to me. Well, guess what? They hate him for it. They say, let's kill him. They go, let's not kill him. Let's throw him in a pit. Let's sell him to slavery. You think your family has problems? Read the freaking Bible. Joseph gets sold to slavery, ends up in this guy in Egypt, this guy named Potiphar. Potiphar's this big-time dude, a lot of money, affluence. And before you know it, Joseph's got favor on his life. And Potiphar's like, I'm going to make you number two of my entire household. The problem is, not only does he have favor with Potiphar, but Mrs. Potiphar likes Joseph too. Joseph's first test was the test of rejection. Joseph's second test is the test of temptation. Because Miss Potiphar comes up to him. She doesn't slide up in the direct messages. No, she's very direct. She says, hey, boy, I want you to come to bed with me. The Bible says that Joseph, he literally runs from Potiphar's wife. He's like, take my coat. You can't have my body. He runs. <laughs> like, literally, no. Like, I don't want it, okay? The woman lies about him and says, no, he tried to rape me. Potiphar gets enraged, gets so angry and says, Joseph, I'm sending you into the prison. What a tough spot when you do the right thing, but it leads to the wrong place. <laughs> Joseph's passed the test of rejection. He's passed the test of temptation. And now he's thrown in the prison cell. And many times we don't talk about Joseph in the prison. Yet I believe Joseph in the prison is now facing the test of what I call the test of isolation. I don't think Joseph at the time knew, but I think God was using that prison as an incubator to develop Joseph for the palace, to develop Joseph for 
a promotion, to develop Joseph for prosperity. But before he got to any of those places, he had to go through the prison. It's called incubation through isolation. I just, I just felt encouraged today to encourage you that if you feel like you're alone today, maybe, just maybe, you're actually simply in the incubator. And God is developing you. I want to give you, these are, this is the simplest sermon I could preach. Three basic thoughts on isolation. Number one, I want you to write this down. Isolation is not a permanent destination. It's not. Maybe you're here today, like I love where, where Julia ended her message, because that's what this whole conference is about. It's about championing the local church. That this is not an event. No, we want you to have an encounter that you would go back to either Zoe Church or to your church, and you would make a difference. We need community. So before I start preaching, you're like, yep, that's it. I, I, I knew it. I need to live all. No, I'm not, you're not supposed to live all alone. Isolation is a season. It's not a permanent destination. It, it's a moment. It's, it's part of the process. challenge that you and I have is the world that we live in is that everybody around us, we all want to arrive, but very few of us are willing to take the trip. <laughs> we all want a purpose, but you know, leave me out of the whole process part. And isolation is never a permanent destination. As you continue to read the story of Joseph, you'll discover that the prison was just a scene in his life. It wasn't the whole story of his life. See, suicide occurs when you start actually just focusing simply on the scene rather than on the whole story. Depression occurs when you're just focused on your scene instead of focusing on the story God is willing to tell. Listen to me. What is a story without a struggle? Some of you want a great story to tell your grandkids, but if you don't ever get into the prison cell, if you don't ever go into the incubator, if you don't ever walk through some moments of isolation, you don't have a story to tell. It's, it's challenging for us because in October of 2007, this device known as the iPhone was introduced into the world. And I love the iPhone. I'm very, very thankful for it. Rest in peace, Steve Jobs. Um, but it's messed with a lot of us because a lot of us now, what happens is all we know is instant, right this minute, right now. This moment. And it's, I got it. The, the, the iPhone camera like, has destroyed us because now you take like 9,000 photos a day. Want to see what I'm eating? No, we don't want to see what you're eating. Let me just selfie. Like we just take so many pictures. But anybody in this room actually remember a real camera? Does, I mean, anyone, a real camera. Remember there was a whole process to that thing. You would go and buy a camera. You would never let somebody take a selfie with your camera. You only got 12 pictures. <laughs> if you're really balling, 24, you know? Remember, every photo, like, really mattered. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you didn't play games with your camera. Like, you'd get a group picture, okay. Like, you'd get someone to put everyone into, like, a pose. You'd check the wind. How's the light? Remember, you would, you would take, a you'd take a photo, and then remember afterwards, after you took all the pictures, remember you had to like, <laughs> remember you had to like, you had to wind it up. Remember that? It was like hurt your thumb, like ow, 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 wind it. Remember, remember the best part was you would take the film out, if anyone actually remembers this, like you felt like you were a spy because you'd pull the film out, and it can't be in sunlight very long. You'd have to quickly put it in that spy capsule. Remember this? You put it in there. And then you would get into your freaking car and you would drive to a brick and mortar location where you would drop off all your photos, remember? And you'd come back in two days and for two days you would just talk about, oh, man, I can't wait to see these pictures. <laughs> ah, 
I can't be certain, but I feel like vacation was good. I, I cannot wait to show you my vacation. It's, oh, it was great. It was great. Remember that? But now, we just take so many, and it just happens so quickly. One of the wild things about photography is that a real photo, it goes through this process, and part of the process is there's this moment that it goes into this thing called the dark room. And it's in the dark room that the picture is developed. Now listen, the film doesn't stay in the dark room. It goes through the dark room. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You're not called to the valley. You're called to walk through the valley. This is not my permanent destination. I'm walking through this thing so I come out stronger. Come on, somebody give God a shout of praise in this house. You're coming through it. The, the season is, is developing something in me. I wish I could bring you back to 17 years of age, Adelaide, Australia, Rich Wilkerson Jr. getting rocked by God on the second row at a conference. And all of a sudden I got this vision for my life. It was huge. It was big. So much of what I'm doing now, I can draw it all the way back to 17 years of age and the picture that God showed me. Yet the minute I got back to Miami, it was like test of isolation. God started cutting stuff off out of my life. Started saying, you can't go there and you can't be with them. It's not that the people were bad. And it's not that the places were bad. It's just that God was saying, no, I need you to get alone so I can begin to do stuff inside of you. I need you to go through a season of isolation so I can develop you. God had to detach me in order to develop me. You know what I learned in that place? Yes, it was lonely, but I learned how to lean on God some of you have never gotten lonely enough to realize that your God is a comforter. You've never gotten out there into the valley long enough to know that he's not just the God of the mountaintop, but he is the God of the valley. And he works miracles even in your isolation. Oh, come on, somebody, give God a shout of praise. God was, God was using a prison in Joseph's life to, to shape him and develop him. I would say that Joseph learned more about being a king living in a prison than he ever did the palace. You youth pastor right now, you're going, man, I can't get this thing to grow. I don't know why only 33 kids are showing up. I see 200 in my mind, but it's only 33. I'm telling you, God is teaching you something right now in this season of isolation. It's like an incubator. It's developing. I'm telling some of you out here that moved to Hollywood with a big dream and you're going, wow, all I face is rejection after rejection after rejection. Nobody sees me. Nobody knows about me. Nobody cares about me. I'm telling you that God is developing something in you. It's called incubation through isolation. You don't want this dream to come out premature. Isolation is not a permanent destination. Number two, what I see is this. I see that isolation is an invitation. Isolation is an invitation. And somebody today, this is what you came to this whole conference for, is to hear this. Because it's going to change your whole perspective around. Joseph, here he is in the prison. He's thrown in the prison for doing something that he did not do. Yet the scripture says that even in the prison, God is still with Joseph. Yet something about Joseph is that I think he always found the invitation. I've learned that isolation, it's an invitation for a new determination. Uh, isolation is an invitation for new connections. Isolation is an invitation for innovation. 
And Joseph, there's something about this guy. You ever met somebody who's, who's so positive they almost make you negative? <laughs> Chad Beach, I mean, come on. It's great, it's great, it's good, it's good. Like, this is, this is Joseph. Joseph, there's something, he's got this, like, contagious spirit. He's got this good spirit, something about his spirit I, I, I like. But Rich, how do you see it? Well, you read there in Genesis chapter 40, the Bible says that the cupbearer and the baker, both these other inmates with him, they, they go to prison, they have these dreams, and I love Joseph. Joseph walks over to these guys, it's just hilarious to me. He walks over, he's like, hey guys, why are you so sad today? Oh, <laughs> uh, because we're in prison, bro. Come on, what's up? It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. It's not good. We're in prison. No, it's good, it's good, it's good. You ever met someone with the right spirit, a contagious spirit? My wife and I, for about four or five years, we lived in this loft apartment in downtown Miami. And every day, I can honestly, Don Tree can confirm this, there was this maintenance man in our, in our complex. This man spoke no English whatsoever. He was a maintenance man. His job was to mop the floors. It's something about this guy. He had this, like, spirit. It was, like, contagious. I would come out of my house, and he would see me go, ha-ha! <laughs> Papi! Ha-ha! He always, like, loved my shoes. He'd be like, ah, ha, ha, papi, shoes. Like, it's hard to have a bad day when your maintenance man's calling you papi. <laughs> true story. I remember one day. It's a true story. You can't make this up. It was like, it was a Monday morning at 6 a.m. Okay, I'm not even sure if Jesus is awake Monday morning at 6 a.m. <laughs> I opened the door out of my apartment, and when I opened the door, my maintenance man is three feet in front of my door. He goes, aha, papi, bang, 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 aha. I was like, oh, oh, oh. Maybe I am, papi. There's something about a contagious spirit. It trumps language. It trumps position. You can have the right spirit even though you're in the wrong place. Joseph, he, he has this. He's not letting his position take away his purpose. Some of you in this room, let me just pastor you for a moment. You are so full of excuses why you can't, why you won't, why you shouldn't, why you would if you could, but your position has removed your purpose. All you got to do is open up your eyes and study the life of Joseph to discover here's Joseph in a prison. He walks up to these guys and he's like, why are you so sad today? They're like, we had some dreams. We don't know what these dreams mean. Joseph's like, yo, doesn't God interpret dreams? I know something about dreams. Let me serve you. The prison doesn't stop him from serving the people around him. I one time read this study about depression. And they asked this doctor, they said, okay, if you did, couldn't use medication, 
and if you didn't really believe in faith, like what would be the most just basic thing you would say to somebody who's dealing with depression? How would you say for them to get going? He said, the most basic thing I could say is get up off the couch and go help somebody else in need. Like, regardless of where we are, even in my season of isolation, I can discover there's an invitation to serve. Listen to me. What you focus on when you're alone is what will manifest when you're announced. You put a demand on your gift in private and watch as the world puts a demand on your gift in public. Joseph is not waiting for the palace. Joseph is not waiting for the conference. Joseph is not waiting for a microphone. Joseph is saying, there's two guys in front of me. They got a problem. I got the solution on the inside of me. I might as well start serving you right where I am. I see the invitation. Dude, like, I just want to help some young preachers out there, like, Bro, 17 years of age, God spoke to me, gave me a vision for my life, and there it was, a big God dream. Hey, Rich, you're going to do some stuff, but I'm telling you, it was the test of rejection. It's the test of temptation. It's the test of isolation. I remember going to Bible college, 18 years of age, and having just this brokenness for our school. It doesn't even make sense. Why did I have a passion to see people get saved at Bible college? That's kind of weird. But nonetheless, I was like, we got to start a prayer meeting. But really the prayer meeting was just a cover-up so I could get up and, and preach a little bit. So it started with eight people. I'd get up, and I didn't really know how to preach, but i just kind of open up the Bible, and I would start yelling. And it got kind of weird. I was like, all right, let's just close in prayer. And, but, but God was using it. God was growing it. God was building it. I'll never forget, one time I drove across the state of Georgia five hours and when I got to the meeting, there was only five people in the audience. I still used a microphone. Why? Because I didn't see five people. I saw an invitation that one day God could maybe, just maybe, use my life to bring a revival all across the land. And I'm not waiting for a promotion. I got an invitation, even in my isolation. See, this is, this is how God works. God wants to know, would you do it if you were unknown? God wants you to know, oh, would, you, would you behave that way if nobody was watching? Would you serve your way into a place of promotion? What I've learned about God is that God will reserve you for himself before he reveals you to others. And some of you need a revelation today that just because you're alone and just because nobody knows who you are, you need to discover the invitation in this season called isolation. Because I'm telling you, you are God's best kept secret that he is getting ready to shout all throughout the land. I, I, isolation is it, an invitation. I'm going to grow in this space. I'm going to learn in this space. God's doing something. I'm in the incubator. I'm developing slowly without outward or perceptible signs. I don't want to come out premature. I want to be right on time. As the worship team comes up here, I love Joseph. Joseph, he, he interprets these guys' dreams. And you got to go and read it. I don't have time to give you all the details of it. But there's such beauty in all of the story. But ultimately, there's, there's a baker and, and there's a cupbearer. Oh, you say, what's a cupbearer? A cupbearer was somebody that would work for the king 
and he had, to, he had to drink the king's wine before the king drank his wine just in case it was poisoned. So next time you complain about your job, <laughs> well, you could be a cupbearer, you know? <laughs> so they, they both give these dreams, and I love Joseph. Joseph's like, okay, yo, uh, Mr. Cupbearer, uh, check this out. Like, what's going to happen is this, is like in three days, Pharaoh, he's going to fully reinstate you. You're back to your position. It's going to be awesome. And then, like, you got to keep reading Joseph. He's so cool. He's like, Mr. Baker, um, not such a good story for you. Um, in three days, Pharaoh is going to call your name, and you're going to be executed. Like, where do you go from there? <laughs> Want to play Uno? Like, what do you say, you know? <laughs> it's cold-blooded, you know? Joseph has one request. He says, Mr., uh, Mr. Cupbearer, do me a favor. My brothers turned their back on me. My dad thinks I'm dead. I'm actually alive. I was sold into slavery. Mrs. Potiphar lied about me. I've been in prison now. I was 17. I've been in prison for a lot of years. I didn't even do what they said I did. Can you just do me a favor? Would you just, would you just remember me as the king reinstates you? And of course, the cover's like, yeah, yeah, I got you, man. I got you. And three days later, just like Joseph interpreted baker was executed, the cupbearer was reinstated, but as you read the story, what you'll discover is that the cupbearer actually forgot about Joseph. He forgets about Joseph for two more years. Two more years. Until finally, as you read into Genesis chapter 40, Pharaoh himself starts having these reoccurring dreams. And they're haunting him. They're messing with him. They're tormenting him. And so what does he do? He calls upon the magicians and he calls upon the sorcerers. He calls upon the life coaches and self-help. And he calls upon everybody out there in the world to say, who can solve my problem? And it's in that moment that he keeps having this dream over and over again that there the cupbearer is like, oh my goodness. Huh. Totally forgot. Uh, the guy who got me out of here his name's Joseph. Yeah, you threw him in prison. He's down there. He does this. Like, he helps people figure out their dreams. And Pharaoh's like, well, go get him. Call him. And so they, they go and they, they, they grab Joseph. And Joseph comes out of that prison looking like Tom Hanks from Castaway. <laughs> Clean him up and put Egyptian musk on him. And he looks good. And they... they, they they bring Joseph into Pharaoh's quarters, and Pharaoh tells him one of his dreams. Like, yeah, I've had this dream, and you got to read it. It's a crazy dream. He's like, this is what I see. I see, like, every night when I go to bed, I see these seven fat cows. They come up out of the Nile River, and they look really, really good. But then right behind them are these seven scrawny cows, and they're about to die. But as they come out of the river, they eat the seven fat cows. I'm telling you, man, I can't get any sleep at night. I can't find any peace. I don't know what I'm dreaming about. I love Joseph. He's like... Well, Pharaoh, don't all dreams come from God? Maybe I could talk to God on your behalf, and maybe God will give me the answer. You see, you, you, you can't interpret Pharaoh's dream until you first have interpreted prisoners' dreams. This, hey, this ain't new to Joseph. He's been here before. And what it tells me is that it tells me that isolation often leads to your elevation. 
But Joseph's like, yo, Mr. King, here's what your dream means. Your dream means that for the next seven years, Egypt is going to have such a harvest. It's going to be plentiful. I mean, everything's going to be prosperous. Everything's going to grow. But Pharaoh, listen to me. I know you just think I'm a prisoner, but listen to me really quick. The next seven years that follow are going to be a terrible famine. And the famine won't just hit Egypt. It will hit all the surrounding territories around Egypt. So Pharaoh, here's an idea. Maybe what you should do is maybe you should take all of the crops and all of the harvest for these first seven years, and maybe you should ration it out, and maybe you should steward it properly. That way, when the seven years of famine hits, not only will Egypt prosper as a nation, but Egypt will also position itself for an economic boom in the midst of a famine because every nation surrounding us will have to come to us in order to get food. Pharaoh's like, where do we find this guy? Joseph's like, oh, me? I've just been hanging out in your prison. Where'd she come from? Oh, she's been serving in Zoe Kids for like the last three seasons. Whoa, who's this guy? Yeah, dude, he, he leads a connect group. He's been doing so for two years faithfully. I've never seen somebody quite like him. Yeah, he's on the parking lot team. He's just there week in and week out. You can always rest assured Sunday morning, even if it's raining, even if there's a marathon on, even if there's a big parade, he'll be there. Look at that gift. Look at that anointing. All the while, they have no idea that your anointing was developed through a great breaking. That if you want more oil, You have to be willing to go through a greater crushing and a greater developing. That's, that's, that's Joseph. I'm going to close. I got two more closes. I'm really going to close it good. I promise you. So you can sit back down. I'm done right now, Chad. I promise you. But we got to bring this thing full circle. And I just sense it in my heart. Pharaoh's like, hey, this dude, this dude. He's number two. It's me, then it's him. You understand? Me, him. Whatever he says you do. Think about how absurd and how crazy this is. The scripture says that Joseph was 30 years of age when he came to work for Pharaoh. Meaning, he got a dream at 17. It wasn't until 13 years later that that dream even on paper looked like it was coming to pass. What you discover about Joseph's life is that seven years of harvest happens. He's now 37 years of age. But then three to four years into the famine, he's now 40, 41 years of age. Not only is Egypt going through a famine, but even his brothers who sold him into slavery, they're in a famine to the point that their father, Israel, says, you got to go to Egypt and you got to bow down in front of whoever is in charge so that we can make sure that we can eat. And at 42 years of age, not a bad year. Not a bad few weeks. I'm talking about a tough decade. All of a sudden, his brothers come and they bow before Joseph and they beg for mercy. It was a dream that was fulfilled, but it took 20 plus years for it to happen. Your dream is going to happen. If you don't quit, you are going to win, church planner. We got to get our confidence back. We got to get our stamina back. 
We got to get our endurance back. You got to get off the iPhone. You got to realize that God, he doesn't have an iPhone dream for your life. No, he's developing a beautiful picture, your story. And you don't want this dream to arrive prematurely. And the reason why I can't close is because that would be a really beautiful message if we just closed right there because it is a good story and it should be preached, but it's just not what I do. I just don't preach motivation, self-help talks. I don't preach go out of here and look like Joseph because if you go out of here and you try to look like Joseph, you will fail and fail miserably. For Joseph was just a man no better than you. But when you read this book and when you read this Bible, you don't look for principles. You look for a person. And that person's name is Jesus Christ. And he's on every page and he's in every verse. For this is not a story of Joseph. No, Jesus, he's the true and better Joseph. And like Joseph, Jesus, he too walked through a test of isolation. For he found himself alone in a garden praying all by himself, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But Father, not my will, but your, your will be done. I want your will over my will. I want your wants over my wants. And then Jesus Christ, like Joseph, he went into the greatest test of isolation as he was hung on a tree. They stretched him wide and they hung him high. And there in that moment, the greatest test of isolation took place as the Father in heaven turned his back on Jesus. And Jesus from that tree, dying for you, dying for me, he declared, Father, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus, taken off that tree, they thought it was over, they thought it was finished. They thought it was all done. They put him in a grave. And they rolled the stone over the tomb. Yet what nobody understood was that the tomb was the womb. That Jesus, like a seed, was planted into the ground. And yes, he had to go and be alone for a moment. But our God, he journeyed to the bellies of the earth. He took the keys of hell. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. And three days later, he resurrected from the grave. And his isolation led to the greatest elevation of all time. That tonight and today, you can stand freely with arms towards heaven. And you can declare and you can proclaim that the same power that conquered death, hell, and the grave, it lives inside of me. It lives inside of you. We too can resurrect. We too can grow. We too can flourish. Come on, Zoe Conference. If you believe it today, give God a shout of praise. Come on.
says he's the true and better Joseph. He sits at the right hand of the king. And instead of cursing you, he blesses you. Like Joseph, he doesn't throw his brothers into the prison for what they deserved. Instead, he gives them a new identity. Instead, he gives them a new position. Instead, he says, my inheritance is your inheritance. It's called incubation through isolation. Today, you're in a season. Keep walking. Don't give up. You are so necessary. The only thing I hate about these conferences is that we come to these conferences and we sit there and we go, I have to be like John Gray. I have to dress like Chad Veach. I have to be as eloquent as Julia. I have, and you don't. It's a lie. In the middle of what God is doing, the enemy creeps in your ear. And as we start to compare ourselves, we start to give up. But we're here today to remind one another, God's got a call on your life. There's a grace on your life. Keep walking. Don't stop now. You're closer than you think. And regardless of what your setting looks like, regardless of what your situation looks like, don't let it stop you from discovering the invitation that you can grow and you can develop. Don't let it take away your spirit. The right spirit trumps all of it. I can't choose my storm. I can always choose my spirit. I can't dictate what happens to me, but I can always choose how I respond to what happens to me. You're not taking away my invitation. I got an invitation to grow. And what I've seen over and over again is that isolation often leads to your elevation. If you feel like you're isolated today, hang in there. I sense a promotion coming. I sense an elevation coming, not for your glory, but for his glory.